It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jay Morrison of The Athletic. We talk about the defense. He just put up an article on The Athletic where he talked to a bunch of defensive players, talked a little bit about how the defense has turned it around. Then we get into the future for the Bengals. Andy Dalton reportedly would like to come back. We talk about whether that's just Andy Dalton saying the right thing or if there's any truth to it. And then we talk about what might be coming for the Bengals in what will be one of the most interesting off-seasons, or at least has a promise to be one of the most interesting off-seasons in quite a while in Cincinnati. But before that, it is Monday, and on Monday we review the PFF grades and we review Football Outsiders' odds for the Bengals to keep that number one pick in the NFL Draft. The Bengals' defense continues to trend in the right direction according to Pro Football Focus, and the offensive line had its best game of the season. And we like to track the Bengals' odds for keeping that number one pick, and Football Outsiders says they're still way in the lead. This is your Locked on Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisko. We'll start today by going through a little bit of a summary of what PFF saw in the Bengals in their Week 13 win, their first win of the season, over the New York Jets. Carlos Dunlap, as was mentioned yesterday, had three sacks, three tackles for a loss, ends up with five total stops, one of his best-graded games of the season, and Carlos Dunlap is actually having one of his best seasons, according to PFF. Andrew Brown only got out there for 19 snaps, but was rewarded by PFF for drawing that hold in the end zone, getting a couple other pressures and a run stop, had a really nice grade as well for the Bengals. Rennell Wren continues to show well, on limited snaps, and BW Webb has a bounce-back game, along with Darquez Denard continuing to provide important tackling and coverage from the slot. Nick Vigil continues his late-season resurgence, and in the last three weeks since the Bengals cut Preston Brown and they started to gel a little bit as a defense, Vigil's actually graded amongst the top off-ball linebackers for PFF in the last three weeks at 15 amongst linebackers So that is a really nice resurgence to see for Nick Vigil behind a defensive line that's playing a lot better, especially when the Bengals can get a lead in games. That's made a big difference for that entire unit. On the offensive side of the ball, Auden Tate continues his breakout year. He's a top-graded Bengal on the season, according to PFF, and he has another really nice game along with Tyler Boyd at wide receiver. The offensive line on the whole graded out really nicely. Bobby Hart grades in the green. John Miller, Cordy Glenn, all putting together really nice performances, especially in pass blocking. 
They're joined by Michael Jordan, who has an okay game, a little bit better than it was before he got benched. And Trey Hopkins gave up that one sack, and that reflects negatively on his grade. But otherwise, I thought he was pretty solid against the Jets. And as I mentioned yesterday, I thought Joe Mixon had a really nice game. That's substantiated by PFF as well. He grades out as the fourth best Bengal on the day. And that's on an average of just 2.3 yards per carry. I think this also includes the one long run he had that ended up called back for a pretty bad block in the back call. Mixon was making yards happen after contact, though, forced three missed tackles. So a really nice day for Mixon, despite the traditional stats not quite being there. Now we'll pivot and talk about football outsiders and their odds for the Bengals to get that first overall pick. I know a lot of you are worried about the Bengals winning too many games and ruining their chances to draft a franchise-changing quarterback, or some of you want Chase Young. Some of you might want an offensive tackle. Regardless, you get the player you want the most by picking first overall, and the Bengals are still overwhelmingly favored to do so, according to football outsiders. FBO gives them a 59.8% chance to earn the number one overall pick with the New York Giants a distant second, just 23% for the Giants for that number one overall pick. And that's in large part because the Giants still play Washington, they still play Miami, and they play the Eagles twice. The Eagles just lost to Miami, Miami now sitting at three wins along with Washington, and Miami still has to go play the Bengals. Of course, that's a winnable game for the Dolphins. And they also play the Giants. So somebody has to win those games. And if the Giants manage to win one more game, that gives the Bengals that two-game clearance. The Bengals, they play the Browns twice. They play Miami. Those are three winnable games the way the season's going for the Browns down the stretch. And they get the Patriots in Week 15. And I think even though that game is in Cincinnati, that would be quite a shocker for the Bengals to pull out. Washington doesn't have a terribly winnable schedule down the stretch, looking at teams that might not win any more games. They might win one more game, though. They do go to Green Bay this week. That one is looking pretty treacherous for Washington. But then they get the Eagles at home. The Eagles seem to be struggling down the stretch. They get the Giants at home and, of course, the Giants in Washington. Again, somebody's going to have to win that game. Then they go down to Dallas. And Dallas sputtering a little bit down the stretch, but there's too much talent on that team to really imagine Washington pulling off the upset on the road. So things are shaping up for the Bengals to be able to win maybe one more game and still feel good about having that number one overall pick. Not in the Bengals' favor, though, is the tiebreaker, which is strength of schedule. I don't think any of the other teams that are in competition for the first overall pick have a schedule nearly as hard as the Bengals. So if the Bengals end up tied for wins and losses with any of these teams, they're going to drop down in the first round. And the other thing that happens with the tie is you start flipping places with the teams you're tied with in subsequent rounds. So ultimately, better for the Bengals' long-term future in the draft to maintain their current standing. But there's four weeks left, and we'll have to see how that all plays out. Next up, I'll be on with Jay Morrison. And until then, I want to tell you about a quick offer we've got going on from DoorDash. You probably remember this one because whenever you can save money on food and easy food, that's something that I'm interested in. I've just finished recording my podcast for the day, right? It's 630. I need to eat some dinner. Nobody's here to make me my dinner. I don't want to get pizza again. I'm going to open up my DoorDash app and look at my one of 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities and try to find a new favorite for dinner tonight. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of DoorDash, $15 or more. 
Save five bucks when you download the app and enter promo code locked on. Go get the app from the app store. Get yourself something nice for dinner. Spend $15 on yourself. Take a treat and then get $5 off. Knock that down to 10 bucks. If you do it just right, that's $5 off your first order with the DoorDash app when you enter promo code locked on. Go get some Chipotle, get a burrito brought to your door, get a Chick-fil-A sandwich, whatever tickles your fancy. Get that DoorDash app, save five bucks, promo code locked on. Today I'm joined by Jay Morrison from The Athletic, formerly of the Dayton Daily News. Jay, thanks so much for coming on today. How's it going? Ah, Going good. How are you? I'm doing just dandy. The Bengals have got their first win of the season, of course, when we scheduled this call. Like I told you before we started recording, I didn't think that we would necessarily be talking about a win, but here we are. Yeah, neither did I. I picked the Jets to win. I I, I said I wasn't going to pick the Bengals until they won one and showed me they could win one. So maybe maybe I'll pick them again somewhere down the line, maybe this week at Cleveland, because it seems like things are going south in a hurry up in northeast Ohio. How did you feel about that Freddie Kitchens hire when it was made? Did you think that it was the right direction for the Browns to go? There was that immediate report from the offensive line coach whose name is escaping me right now that Ken Zampezi was a big part of the offensive turnaround and he did not stay on with Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, it was, I mean, not being in that locker room and around that organization it, it is a little hard to tell. I, I understood it because you – you just see the way the league's going. Everybody's getting offensive guys. You know, I think Brian Flores was the only defensive guy that was a new head coach of all the new ones this year. And obviously Baker is the man up there. And if Freddie has a good relationship with him, it just made sense. But I, I still, I, I think they'd have been a better off with Greg Williams. I, I just, he, I know he's got a, he's got kind of a checkered past, but man, that team, they really played for him. And, I just, I, I thought they'd have been better off getting a guy with a little more experience, um, and maybe maybe Freddie will be the the guy in the long run. But it's it's everything we kind of thought it would be. We we thought with all those big personalities and and Freddie's inexperience that that this thing could kind of turn south, and it has. They they didn't get off to a great start, and it hasn't been the the finger pointing and the, the diva stuff from Odell Beckham, but it's, it's still been seemingly one thing after another up there. And a lot of them don't have anything to do with football. Um, so it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the mood is in that stadium. If, if things play out, the Bengals could actually eliminate them from the playoff race. Um, if, if Tennessee, I think Tennessee plays at the same time at one o'clock on Sunday, if Tennessee wins and the Browns lose, it's over. They're out. Boy. That is a little bit of pressure on that game for the Browns. And I agree with you about the experience thing for that team, the way that they were kind of coming into themselves. And we saw all offseason, the hype around the Browns, crazy high. And it's kind of played out exactly the way that I'm sure Browns fans most feared in that the hype seems to have gotten to their heads a little bit and they're not putting it together on the field. And Freddie Kitchens wearing that shirt this week, hasn't figured out how to use Odell Beckham all year. You talk about experience. I feel like, you know, a, a coach with a little bit more leadership qualities than him maybe gets it done up there. And we're only talking about this, of course, because the Bengals go up to play the Browns this week. You said you weren't going to predict the Bengals for a win until they won a game. You said you might go there this week. 
How are you feeling about that game right now? It sounds like there's still no AJ Green this week. At least there's no update today from Zach Taylor. Andy Dalton playing with a little bit more fire in his belly. John Ross coming back this week. Could things be lining up a little bit there? Yeah, they could be. And I, I'm, I was shocked the line, you know, the opening line was nine. That that seemed really high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think Bengal fans remember back to the early part of this decade when the Bengals were clearly the better team. And on multiple occasions, the, the Browns rose up and, and scored the upset. It just seems to happen a lot in this series in particular. You see a lot in divisional games because they know each yeah. other so well and the, the team that's a little bit down, um, the underdog, they, they do tend to spring upsets a little more often than you see in non-divisional games, but especially in the Battle of Ohio, it just it always seems like it, the smart money is on the team that's getting the points, and the Bengals are getting nine, and I just, I'm not ready to pick a win yet, but I, I think this is going to be a, a really close game, and it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, once you, you see once they kind of get off that schneid and get that win and get that feeling, I don't think this is a team that's going to relax and say, okay, we got it. it that That's out of the way. We're not going 0-16 and they're going to tank. It's, I think they're going to keep playing hard and, and I don't think they're done. I think there's going to be at least one more, maybe two more wins this year. And, and one of them could be Sunday in Cleveland. It could be the next time, the last time they host the Browns in Cincinnati as well. There are a couple of winnable games left on the schedule. Of course, they play the Browns twice and the Browns have been a roller coaster, as you mentioned, to say the least. And obviously everyone's looking to that game in Miami, uh, which for a mm. long time looked like it would dictate the first overall pick. But you see what's happened to Miami. They get their first win of the season also over the Jets. And then they go on, win a couple games and they look like they've got a little bit of fight in them down the stretch. They, of course, do still play the dregs of the NFC East. And it still looks pretty good, I think, for the Bengals to get that first overall pick, which is a goal, I think, for many fans. At least Football Outsiders, I think, still has the Bengals as a favorite by like 20% over the Giants. But you talked to the defensive guys a little bit this week in your story for The Athletic. They've been slowly putting together three games in a row here that have looked pretty good. Preston Brown gets released, and I'm not saying that that's what triggered the change and I actually don't think that's what triggered this reversal of course but what did the players tell you what was the prevailing message about what has changed in the last few weeks Um, well they've cut down on the big plays Um, that's what's really been killing them Um, it's what killed them last year Um, a lot of when you have new coordinators there's there's a lot of miscommunication a lot of confusion it takes a while to settle in and all it takes is a, a slight bit of miscommunication and you get a guy running free in, in the secondary and, and NFL quarterbacks are going to exploit that. Um, they did give up the 79-yarder last week against Pittsburgh. That was kind of an anomaly. They had that play covered. William Jackson absolutely should have intercepted that. Uh, that wasn't a miscommunication. That was just a physical error. But you look at yesterday, um, or you look at the Jets game, and they – they gave up two 20-yard plays and nothing over that. So that was a big leap forward. Um, I do think Preston was a part of it. He, he He's not he's not the the prototypical NFL linebacker anymore. He's you, you need guys that can run. Preston couldn't do that. He's he's a good he's good against the the run when when they're running it right up the middle, but teams are attacking the Bengals on the edge and he was really a liability. Uh, Jermaine Pratt probably would have supplanted him a little bit sooner. 
but he he was struggling to pick it up. I mean, he he's new as a linebacker. He mm-hmm. he played safety in college to start off, so he's still kind of learning the position right. and learning the NFL and learning the scheme. Um, he's he's been he's been gradually getting better. So I do think that switch was a big part of it. Um, and, and just overall, just all these guys getting more comfortable with Lou and Lou kind of being willing to, to mix things up. And Carlos Dunlap talked about it after the game Sunday, but he's basically drawing plays up in the dirt. I mean, they've, they've got Sam Hubbard playing linebacker and, and covering tight ends, and uh, they're doing all these different things. He blitzed Jesse Bates on a, a couple times. Bates said he'd only been – uh, been able to blitz twice in the NFL, and I know he's a young guy, but uh, still, that was something that he's not been asked to do. They blitzed Sean Williams on a play, and he got home. Um, didn't get credit for the sack, but he was right there with Carlos. Um, he, they're just—he's willing to try different things and, and figure out what works best for his personnel, and that's what you want to see from a from. I don't want to say a young defensive coordinator because Lou's over 50, but he's a first-year defensive coordinator. He's kind of learning on the fly just like Zach and Brian Callahan are, and I think that's a good sign to to see him willing to to make adjustments and and to see the defense improve as the season goes on. I think I saw a four-defensive tackle front at one point on Sunday as well where they had Rennell Wren. And then in the middle, I think it was Tupo and Billings. And then on the right side at the right end, they had Gino. I think that it didn't necessarily go great on that play. I can't remember. I think that was a run that went outside. I can't remember the specifics, but I do remember thinking that's an interesting personnel grouping they've got out there. And I think everybody noticed Sam Hubbard dropping into coverage three times on the first drive of the game. Didn't go great. Yeah. But, uh, at least they, they tried it. I also noticed Darius Phillips when he was on the field on defense for just a couple snaps, including that uh, little shovel pass the the um, the Jets ran that got called back. Darius Phillips out there at strong safety, which I think is a pretty interesting choice for his particular talents. Yeah, and for his size, he's he's not a guy that's going to fill the box and, and and take on a thumper, but you that's what I was talking about where Lou is willing to experiment and, and try things. And when you have a lead and you're, you, you, you ha- kind of have the, the luxury of doing that. And that's, that's something that has not been the case for most of the season. And, you know, even the last two weeks uh, against the Raiders and, and Steelers, those games were close and the Bengals were in it, but they were very rarely playing from in front. Right. And they were able to do that wire to wire on Sunday against the Jets. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about the future here too. So Andy Dalton, PFT, talked to after the game yesterday, said he's absolutely interested in coming back to the Bengals in the future just a few weeks, right, after saying, I wish they would have told me sooner so I could work out a trade. And the impression was he's definitely gone after the season. Taylor doesn't want him. He wants to go elsewhere. He feels spurned after last week. The way the locker room responded, you got Carlos Dunlap and Joe Mixon going out there with him for his press conference. 
the tweets from some of the players on social media, the, the Instagram posts, he's fired up. What's your sense of all that? Is that something that's changed or is this just saying the right thing the way you expect Andy Dalton to do? Yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, if if they ask him if he wants to come back, there's no way he's going to say, no way, I don't want to be here. And, you know, he, this is his home. He's He's had him and his wife, JJ, they've had three kids here. They love it here. I get all that. I'm sure he would like to be here, but it's it's not really in his hands. Um, I, I still think the the only way he's here next year is if, if they win, not just win out, maybe win three more games. I mean, if they play themselves out of the number one pick and they don't have a chance to get a, a game-changing quarterback in the draft, then, then maybe they do ride with them for another year. But I just I don't think that's going to happen. You – he he's he is what he is. He's a middle of the road quarterback. You can win with a guy like that if you have a great roster. This is not a great roster, and it's not going to be a great roster next year, um, no matter what they do in the draft and in free agency. There's just too too much that needs to be overhauled. I, the, if they want to win and they want to get this thing turned around, the way to do it is get a young quarterback in there on a rookie contract. You can't pay Andy Dalton $17 million and, and get all the other pieces you need. You need to get a, a rookie in there on a rookie deal, let him learn on the fly, and then getting Andy's contract off the books, getting a bunch of other big-name contracts off the books that gives you the flexibility to really kind of retool this thing. Um, personally, I, I just I think the world of Andy Dalton, I know, you know as a person what he did for me last week when he sat down and – Went over, went over all the the twenty five guys that have mm-hmm. caught touchdown passes for him, and that was after he'd had a that was the his first press conference day after being renamed the starter, and uh, he didn't have to do that. The, the media obligations were over, and he had he had his lunch in his hand. It was hot, <laughs> it was getting cold, and he sat there and gave me all the time in the world to do that, and actually had fun and was engaging. I just I, I think the city's gonna the, the city's gonna miss him. Um, I know he gets a lot of a lot of heat for never winning a playoff game but it, it, it those losses weren't all on him um i just i just think it's the, the writing's on the wall it's time to move on it's it's not an indictment of of what andy dalton is it's just the way that the league is you you if you want to turn things around and rebuild a roster you start with a young rookie quarterback and that's the bengals really have no other option but to do that especially with the CBA changing, right? This might be the last opportunity yeah. to get a rookie quarterback on the current rookie scale deal. So a cheap deal that's going to let you retool the roster. But what do you say then? Because I've, I've talked about this too, right? The Bengals can pretty easily get to $100 million in cap space this offseason. And that's without even talking about Carlos Dunlap's contract or Geno Atkins' contract. You can keep those guys and still get to $100 million in cap space. But what do you say to the people that then rebut and say, "Oh, the Bengals aren't going to play in free agency. They're 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 going to you know extend Bobby Hart for seven million dollars a year." And credit Bobby Hart, by the way, mentioning Bobby Hart had his I think best PFF graded game of the season this week, and the offensive line generally was very good in pass protection, outside of that one sack that kind of came on a handoff, but uh, from Trey Hopkins to Michael Jordan, I mean, but. What about that argument? The Bengals won't spend in free agents in free agency, so it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, I mean, I understand it because they never have done it. It's been their philosophy, but I, they, they really don't have a ch- choice. I mean, they, they stood pat at the trade deadline. They didn't accrue any extra draft picks. Now, maybe maybe they it's not just cutting guys this spring. Maybe it is trading mm-hmm. a Carlos Dunlap and an, Andy Dun- and an Andy Dalton and getting some more draft picks that way. But still, you as it stands right now, there's no comp picks coming their way. They have seven draft picks, one in each round, and everybody knows this. What has to happen? This this roster has to be torn down and rebuilt, and there's really no other option to do that other than to to be active in free agency. Unless you're just going to sit there and try to cherry pick at the end of the draft and get a bunch of undrafted free agent guys by offering them more money than other teams are offering them, and that's not going to that's not going to help you. you. You don't you don't win division titles with a bunch of undrafted guys. You, you might hit on a good one every now and then, like they did with Vontez, but that, that's not the route to go either. They they really have no choice but to go out and you know take some chances. That's what free agency is. That's why they don't like doing it because their argument is of all the you know those day one guys, the big salary guys, usually one in three pans out, and kind of earns the salary he gets. Well, that that is true, but you got to take the chance. You got to you got to try to get that one in three, or you know maybe get lucky and, and get two out of three. Um, I, I just I don't think anybody you know other than Jermaine Pratt, he might be the only linebacker that's back next year. You're not going to draft three linebackers when you only have seven picks. They're going to have to go get some guys in free agency. And linebacker is not looking like it will be a strength of the 2020 draft class either. The offensive right. tackles look great. The defensive linemen look great, at least in the first two days. There's a lot of first-day, first second-day quarterback talent. There's a ton of wide receiver talent, again, throughout the draft, actually, for wide receiver. But mm-hmm. linebacker is like Isaiah and then nothing. There, there's, a, there's the Oklahoma kid whose name I can't remember right now, but there's maybe one first round linebacker in this draft. So they have so many needs too, right? It's just hard to see the value meeting the need for a linebacker before day three, especially when they only have one pick in every round. Now I'm sure they'll try to accrue some draft capital, be that by trying trying to find a trade partner for Andy Dalton. Carlos Dunlap is an interesting one to talk about because I think he's probably their most well, he's not a quarterback, but he should probably be their one of their most valuable trade trips. Trade, trade chips. He's still playing really well. He he hasn't put up the cumulative numbers. He just added a ton to his traditional stats with sacks and pressures this week. But he still had a very good season altogether. And I think because he didn't have the sacks, a lot of Bengals fans were underselling what he's done this year. Yeah, it's just. He, he is he's starting to play well of late but still when when those guys get up in the 30 range defensive linemen don't get better Um, so that that i mean i do think there's a market out there for him but i don't think they're i don't think they're gonna score a a huge return and getting rid of him the big deal with that will be getting his contract off the books and and i don't know who's going to take that on when he's he's on the, uh, the wrong side of 30 maybe a deal involves the bengals eating some of that contract and then getting a getting a draft pick or two for him um, it's going to be a really interesting offseason from that from that standpoint uh, you know for so long i've been covering this team since 2012 and for so long under marvin the whole focus was on re-signing our own guys and it's yeah. just they, they can't do it this year they're they're, they're gonna have to be creative and do some new things and uh 
I think everybody has their own opinion of what should happen, uh, but it, it's really going to be interesting to see what, what Troy and, and Duke and, and everybody involved actually decides to do and what direction they go. And they're in a bit of a different place than they have been in the past, too. When it's been the focus on retain our own, they've had guys worth retaining. They've had guys coming off first contracts that had earned second contracts. The draft since 2015 has not been so kind to them. They have a few guys that I'm sure they would like to bring back. Uh, looking in the secondary, William Jackson, Darquez Denard, uh, Jesse Bates in a couple of years, Carl Lawson, Andrew Billings. So there's some guys on the defensive side of the ball that are pretty good, but none of them are like, you got to bring back A.J. Green. You got to bring back Andrew Whitworth coming off his first contract. They have nobody like that that they need to focus on retaining. And so I agree with you. They, they need to do something different this year. They need to recognize that they're in a different position and adapt. Speaking of adapting, is there any indication that this team is going to modernize seeing the success the Ravens are having with an, uh, an increased uh, impact or acceptance or integration of anti- of analytics, uh, just looking around the league, perhaps recognizing that their approach in the personnel department isn't working very well. Any indication that the personnel department is going to be fleshed out, that they're going to bring in and integrate analytics further than they have so far? Yeah, that's a good question because uh, I, Zach, he's, everybody knows he's a young guy and they've got a lot of young coaches on this league. And I think those, those, guys embrace that they, they understand how important it is but you know it's it's a matter of can they sell a front office that doesn't like to hire more people um to, to get some guys in to go a different direction and, and and start start relying more on analytics i don't know i don't know if they will or not um i don't know in the past how much of that reluctance was the front office and how much was marvin mm-hmm. uh, marvin <laughs> We know yeah, Marvin did it was like obvious it. when you when you would bring up the topic of analytics with Marvin, you know, it was just it was pretty much shot down. He he didn't want to hear. He's an old school coach, and and I get that. that you know, the old dog new tricks thing. Uh, you got a fresh a fresh group of coaches in there now, and, and and they know how important it is. And you see it not just in football, but in baseball everywhere. Analytics are important. And it was interesting talking to, to Brian Callahan uh, Monday after the the win. Um, I was curious about the, the decision to, to punt the ball on fourth and two yeah. from the Jets 45 because they, they, they've been really aggressive in that. They, they went into that game with 19 four, uh, fourth down attempts. That was third most in the league, and I was really surprised that they decided there. And, and he talked about uh, Dan Pitcher and Sam Francis up in the booth. They, they've got all that stuff in front of them. They do rely. It's not just feel by the coach. They rely on analytics and it, it, they, you know, when you should go for it, when you shouldn't. And he said, yeah, the numbers said we probably should have gone for it there, but sometimes you have to go by feel. And we had the wind and we knew the Jets were going to have to go 90 some yards into the wind and, and it worked. They, they pinned them at the two and two plays later, they get a safety because the Jets are holding in the end zone. So I, I thought that was really interesting that, that, he kind of brought up, you know, a little bit of in-game analytic play that, or in-game analytics that were in play there, and uh, they decided this time to trust their gut. But they they have been relying on that uh, throughout the season on when to go for it, when to punt on on fourth downs. And we had seen that up until this game, and then my thing in this game was, okay, you're winning, so why is the approach changing? Right, the approach shouldn't change because you're you're maybe you're scared that it's going to backfire and get the Jets back in the game. 
but I, I also sort of get it right. They're zero and eleven. They really want to get that first win, and it does work out in mm-hmm. the end, right? Like Kevin Huber's having a great year, especially with pinning teams inside the twenty. The Jets, you know, offense hasn't been working very well. The offensive line is struggling. They're injured. They're banged up, and it, it, you're totally right. It worked out great. I, I think they kind of blind squirrel found a nut there maybe a little bit but you take those nuts when you can find them right so good yeah i looked it up i i the um the the last time that they punted on fourth and two or fourth and one was the second quarter of the seattle game in the season opener there you go they had gone they'd gone for it not not gone for it because there was there were three instances including one in in the game earlier against the Jets where they had a, a fourth and one or a fourth and two and they kicked field goals. That's a little different animal if you got a chance to get points. But when when the option was either go for it or punt, every single time they had they had gone for it except for early in that Seattle game in the season opener. So they he has been really aggressive. Um night like I said 19 times going for it on fourth down. I think the the league high going into this week was 23, so He's right there. That he's the anti-Marvin in in that regard because that was something that that Marvin rarely went for it on fourth down. And I know you don't get to talk to Duke Tobin during the year. This has been a topic on Twitter. I know Paul asked, and or I think Paul asked, and I know Richard Skinner asked and said he he said no. Uh, mm-hmm. Any any changes that we can see coming in the personnel department, or is that something that we wouldn't even get any insight on until the off season? Yeah, it's probably not anything we would get input on until the off season. Um, again, there it's just they they they're kind of set in their way, and they're they they fall back on that argument that we're a small market team. We have to watch our money and blah blah blah. And it, it's just like you know what? How much is too much? They're they're making they're making plenty of money. They're doing well. I know a lot of the other owners. You know, the football team is kind of like their play thing, and they made their money elsewhere, whereas with the, the Brown family, this is the family business. But it, it just – at some point, they have to see the writing on the wall that, you know, that they are so much lower in, in when it comes to that scouting department. Um, it, no, one, no one is asking for them to jump up to the top of the league in the number of scouts they employ, but, but what could it hurt to, to add – two or three or four more you know it's not like those guys make millions of dollars a year like players do um i just it, it's it's really kind of baffling that's that's the most baffling i get the the reluctance in free agency and some of the other stuff they do the way they kind of put money aside and don't spend up to the top of the the salary cap every year but the, the scouting thing is something that just really puzzles me and uh that that will be a major topic i'm sure the next time we talk to those guys will be uh, during the the owners' meetings, which I believe are late February or no, they're in they're in March. They're after the combine, so that'll be right in the the ramp up to free agency. I'm sure I'll be in your Twitter mentions sending you some questions that I've got because I'm sure we won't get the chance <laughs> you to and talk a bunch to of other people. Oh yeah, uh, you know it was really nice though when we went down to Paul Brown Stadium. We happened to see uh, Mike, Katie, and Paul Jr. Mike Jr.? Mm-hmm. Anyway. No, Paul. Paul Jr., yeah, right, right. We, we saw the three of them walking from, from the cafeteria with their lunch, and they stopped and talked with us, and that was actually really nice um, to get to talk to the owners of the team. Not something we expected when we went in there. Right. And they are. They're great people. Um, they, they do a lot for the community. I, I know they, they get a bad rep 
Um, it's just a, a philosophical difference in, in the way to, to operate the business. And hey, you know, everybody's trying to spend their money. They're trying to spend their own money. Yeah. Um, they're going to do it the way they think is best. Yeah, there's always that element to it. Last question, Jay, then I'll let you go enjoy your night. There was some questions, especially before this win. This is a worst start in Bengals history. Shula didn't get a chance after having a start that wasn't quite as bad as this one. I don't feel like there's any real imminent firing of any coaches. Do you get the sense that we're going to see the same coaching staff next year, or do you think that there will be some churn seems like Zach Taylor certainly still has a locker room. You watch that video after they won, but at the same time, it sounds like, you know, the guys aren't putting in extra time necessarily. So what's your feel in that regard as far as still having the locker room, the buy-in, and what kind of coaching changes we might see year over year? Um, I, I think there will be some turnover cause, just because there always is. Guys right. get other opportunities elsewhere, whether it's a promotion or a lateral move to a, a more stable franchise. Um Let's not forget there was there were seven coaches that were held over from last year's staff mm-hmm. that you know Zach kind of signed off on, but he's they're not his guys. So um, I think I, it's not going to be enough people by any means, and I'm not sure any of them will will be traditional firings. I just think that there's going to be guys that'll probably look for opportunities elsewhere. Um, you know, if, if they're trying to build something here, that's not the way to do it. So even as bad as this year's been to to go and and gut a coaching staff um you know we talked earlier about how important it was for lou to stick with his his system and and to do some experimenting and kind of grow along the way there's a lot of young coaches on the staff that are kind of in that same boat not not in the as big of a position as a defensive coordinator but um I, i think this Everyone knew there was going to be growing pains this year, and I just I think it'd be foolish for them to to go out and whack a bunch of assistants just because the the win total wasn't what everyone had hoped it would be. Yeah, that makes some sense. I, I wouldn't mind seeing some of these guys get another year, especially if they continue to play well on the defensive side of the ball down the stretch. Well, Jay, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate the time tonight and the insight. Always great. You can find Jay over at The Athletic, of course, along with my co-host Joe, and I'm sure you all know about Paul as well. Jay on Twitter at jmorrisonath, ath, A-T-H is the suffix? Yes, A-T-H. Yeah, so for, short for athletic. Definitely go give Jay a follow. I've been following him since his days at Dayton Daily News and was very happy to see him get the opportunity The Athletic. Jay, again, thanks so much again for coming on, for the help when I went down to Paul Brown Stadium in the summer. You have been a great resource. Yeah, I was glad to come on and talk to you. It was a good conversation. Thanks for having me on, Jake. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? 
Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.